Welcome to episode 15 of the Pregactive Podcast as we talk with one of the most recognized and respected breastfeeding and early parenting experts, Pinky McKay, all about those first newborn weeks. What to expect and how to best prepare for this special time with your newborn baby. Hi, I'm Karen, the founder of Pregactive. And through this Pregactive podcast, I'm going to help you to feel empowered, informed, and confident through your pregnancy and motherhood journey as we talk all things health, mind, and fitness. So very excited to have Vicky McKay here, who is a lactation consultant and an early parenting expert. And before we get into all the tips and tricks that we're going to talk about, Pinky, for those who don't know you, just give us a, a bit of an intro into who you are and what you do. Okay. I'm a mum of five, first up, and a grandmother, um, just in case you didn't think I was that old. Um, <laughs> I am an international board certified lactation consultant, which means I can support women with their breastfeeding and antenatally, postnatally, um, you know, any breastfeeding related issues and early parenting. I'm also an author of Sleeping Like a Baby, Parenting by Heart, Toddler Tactics, um, yeah, which is all very gentle and about connecting with your baby and um you're the expert about your baby is sort of my philosophy and you know you you trust yourself around your own baby and you know those things I'm also the creator of booby foods which are foods specifically created for breastfeeding mums too so yeah aren't you amazing so much It's so much support and I think that's so important, support and guidance and also just that that gentle guidance is really important for mothers because I remember that phase of being pregnant but almost, you know, at the end of the pregnancy and there's a big, it feels like this big step, this big leap um, into motherhood and it's such an unknown, it's such a you know, everyone can tell you their things, their their opinions, their, you know, whatever. But until you're there and then you settle into your own space, it, it, it does feel a bit kind of, I guess, scary in a way. And so to have these sort of resources that you provide are so important. Um, I guess let's talk through today in twofold. One is for pregnant women who are maybe anxious or maybe just are looking for a little bit of guidance in that unknown space Uh, and then we'll also be talking through with mothers who are there they're already there they're in the journey and it might be hard right now and this can be something that's a bit more reassuring for them so what would be I guess starting off if you had a pregnant woman in front of you what would be some things that you would I guess say to her Well, about preparing and preparing your nest is really important, I think. You know, preparing for that baby moon because you are stepping into the unknown. You know, it's the first big step into the unknown for the love of this child and there will be lots more unknowns on that journey as your baby grows and changes and just when you think you've nailed it, 
that baby will change his pattern. He'll change his feeding pattern. He might have a growth spurt. And I think, understand, you know, and so, of course, he, if he's having a growth spurt, he'll want to feed a bit more frequently. Just understanding what could happen, but preparing your nest in that, you know, I always say set up a petal roster and imagine that there's a flower with petals around it and in the centre you have a good friend or you have your sister or someone you know really well and they can manage this for you and each purse each petal is the name of a friend who can help support you through this journey and it might just be that you know on Monday one woman might drop off a meal on Tuesday someone might pick up your supermarket shopping or you know fold your washing or whatever depending where you are right now and how many people are allowed to visit you what they can do but that's a roster that your friend can administer for you and that means you don't have to ask for help because one of the things as women who've never had a baby you've probably never really had to reach out and ask for help at a very vulnerable time or you've had a you know you might have gone to your health care or your psychologist or talked to your mum but to actually work out what you need and what you know get some meals in the freezer set up deliveries for supermarket um, or health food shops or whatever just set up those online deliveries so that life is going to be a little bit easier for you because I think it's like being you know it's like a train coming through your house you've got you don't know what sort of baby you're going to have you don't know how well you're going to feel afterwards and the other thing is to prepare for feeding your baby you know get the information around breastfeeding before you have that baby see a lactation consultant antenatally talk to your midwife antenatally about how you plan to feed your baby and what would be helpful and that they can go through a medical history with you and make sure that you know whatever's happened before if it's your first baby or your second baby um, what's happened before what was your journey like um, did you have good breast development during puberty or pregnancy or have you not had much can you express colostrum before you have your baby um, that is the early um, sticky yellowish fluid that comes out of your breasts. Usually mid to late pregnancy, you'll start leaking. Some women don't start leaking, and that's not an indicator of how your milk supply is going to be. But if you can um, get some syringes from your pharmacy, and they're probably about 50 cents each, and pop them in a little Ziploc bag, um, express, warm your breasts, and gently express a little bit of that colostrum, suck it into a syringe, and pop those syringes into the freezer and you've got that, take it into hospital with you because if for some reason um, your milk's a little bit slower coming in, which it may be, it doesn't mean it's never going to come in at all, but if you've had a C-section or you've got diabetes, there's a few little reasons that may mean that your milk's slower to come in and somebody might be offering your baby formula, which isn't ideal because the colostrum will seal your baby's gut and help get a good gut environment if you can do that. So you know, expressing colostrum before you're pregnant. But again, I think setting up your nest is the big one. Set up a feeding basket so that you've got all the things in it you need in this basket because you'll be stuck on the couch for quite a while as your baby's learning to feed. And yes, you're laughing at me, Karen. You've got memories of sitting stuck on that couch, haven't I, you? It's such a good idea. I'm, yeah. Yes, I'm put, so, so grateful for the person who told me about the, the feeding basket because it's so important to have everything you need in one spot because you sit down, you know, and you're with you this go, baby for a yeah. long time, you know, 40 minutes or something or more. And 
you can't get up. And pee first, <laughs> pee first before you sit down and feed that baby. Because <laughs> you'll be stuck yeah, on that exactly. couch. So if you've got the basket and put snacks in your basket, um, you know, a water bottle, some wipes, some breast pads, anything that you think you might need while you're stuck there um, because, yeah, and you can gradually, you know, you can refill it at some other time of the day. You can just do this. But you might want to sit outside and feed your baby if it's a sunny day or if you've mm. got a toddler. You know, you might want to sit outside and let that toddler play with water. They might wash their ride on with some soapy bubbles or something like that to keep them busy while you're stuck with this baby. Or they might just sit in the sand, but, or they might have a paintbrush and water and paint your veranda or your fence. Um, you know, like there's activities you can do with your toddler, but if you've got that feeding basket, you can go to the playroom, you can sit in the lounge room, you can sit on your bed, wherever you are. You just pick up your basket or you might have a basket in a few different rooms so that you've just got your stuff. Chuck a nappy in and a spare onesie too because they're bound to have a poo explosion as you're feeding. And these are the things you don't think of if you've never had a baby. And those towels. Those towels, yes. <laughs> exactly. Those towels, those, you know, those white towels that are those old cloth nappies that you just go through so many. <laughs> I <laughs> bought my things. first daughter. I've got two daughters who've had babies. Um, and my first daughter, I bought her a dozen of those terry toweling squares and she looked at me like, what? I'm not putting these on my baby. She thought I'd given them to her as nappies. I said, you may not use them as nappies, but you will use these terry toweling squares, you know, mark my words kind of thing. And the night she was in labour, her husband rang me up and said, I said, what are you telling me? Because I'd said to her, look, if you want me to come, I'll come. If you don't, I'm not going to be offended. Just decide at the time, you know, whatever you need. And he said, no, she wants you to come. And I said, look, put her in a bath because he said, look, she's pretty uncomfortable. And I said, look, put her in a bath with the lights off. Anyway, I took my bucket and my rubber gloves. And when I got there, I said, where are those cloth nappies? And she told me. And I went and got them, put them in the bucket of hot water, wrung them out and put them across her back because she was leaning over the bath you know, vomiting herself Amazing. into a bucket, you know. so And she just went, because oh, oh. that heat, you know, the heat helps, doesn't it? You know, the heat, the warm, wet, wrung out oh, nappies so good. just helped because you can't yeah. put a wheat pack on when you're in the bath. Um, but anyway, when my next daughter was yeah. pregnant many years later, she had her baby last year and full lockdown in Dubai, what did my older daughter send her? She sent her a bundle of the cloth. Yeah. Terry Towling nappies and said, <laughs> and of course she said, you know, and I you will that. use these, not necessarily on your baby's bum. <laughs> so it's don't one of the top the ten things nappies. I would definitely tell a mum, a yeah. woman, definitely. But they look at you as though, and what do you think I'm going to use these? <laughs> yeah, the yeah. colostrum I think is a really important one to bring up because. I, there are things that you just assume everyone gets told and oh. colostrum is one of those things that you would just hope a lot of pregnant women get told about and not everybody does. No, and I no. think it's so important uh, to to have that information and I think it's so funny too because um, when you're expressing and trying to, you know, do it, you're getting like literally drop after drop maybe like, you know, yes, it's gold. It's not going to squirt out like milk. No, no, it's actual gold. Sometimes. <laughs> and my husband, so I ended up um, doing it into a tiny little cup. 
rather than yep. doing it straight into the syringe. And then I would syringe it up and then I would put it in the freezer. And there was a moment where my husband was helping me and he had done it and he was just getting this last little bit out of the cup and I think he had it tipped over just, you know, waiting for it to drop out. And then everything just spilled everywhere and I went, oh, what have you done? Yeah, <laughs> because it's precious. like that just took me so long. Yeah, and it is. It's so precious. And the funny thing is, um, you might say it in my birth story, but we took everything that we needed when we went to the hospital and um, we had all the colostrum, the frozen syringes, all in this you know pack. We went to the hospital, got checked, and then we ended up coming home because it was in the afternoon, came home and, you know, progressed through my labor. Nine o'clock at night, we get everything in the car and we go. And we had, you know, our beautiful baby boy a couple of hours later. And then I needed to be rushed off down to theater because I had a 3B tear. And so the colostrum was the number one thing that we needed. Where was it? It was in our freezer back at home. We'd oh, forgotten to no. bring all the colostrum. And we said that to the midwife and we're like, what can we do? And she goes, it'd be really good if someone would go get it for you right now. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so, you know, my in-laws ended up being able to bring it through to us. But it's just that thing. It's it's even if in those, you know, post-birth, you may not be able to immediate like I, I got to give um, Max a little bit of um, expressed colostrum when I was there before I got rushed off but that was really important and um, yes. you know even for c-section those sort of things it's it's you don't you just think about don't that. know do you whether you'll be separated for a couple of hours or whether mm. your milk will be a little bit slower to come in if there's a bit of intervention you know if you have a bit of a bleed or all those sorts there are little things that can make um, a bit of a delay till your milk comes in and and if that baby needs something or if you've had diabetes and the baby's blood sugar drops because they'll be monitoring that I mean they can give them a glucose drip or something but if they can give them colostrum that's so yes. easy so important actually you know what I think that was the first time I ever heard about it was from a woman who had had gestational diabetes and she was like make sure she was an advocate for it because she's like I needed it and it was a hundred percent you know really told to her but um yeah not necessarily every single pregnant woman in the world oh yeah good yeah. and I think that then um you know preparing whether you choose to or whether breastfeeding is the journey that ends up for you or not, I think getting the information and, and being surrounded by those resources is really important because in those first days and even week weeks, it's it's really hard, isn't it? Like there seems to be so much information and if you're and stressed be, about and it. And your brain isn't in a position to really mm. sift through information or you might be on some pain-relieving meds that make you a little bit foggy-brained or you might just be exhausted. It. And so it's mm. very, very hard. Another thing I tell mothers is to learn the stop sign. Just putting your hand up in a stop sign because it's very common for a midwife to come along and grab your baby and grab your breast and pop the two together. She's meaning well, but sometimes they ask permission, sometimes they don't. They're a bit busy and everybody should ask permission before they touch your body, but sometimes that doesn't happen. So if you see someone coming to you like that and they've grabbed your breast, put your hand up in the stop sign and say, 
please, because you can't always get your words out either and just say, you know, please can mm. I try myself? You can, Would you just guide me rather than, you know, being that passive person because when that midwife walks away, you're going to still be confused as to how did I get that baby on? And that's a big thing, isn't it? Because Ooh. if, you know, talking about cracked nipples and it doesn't always have to be if if the the um, attachment is really good. I mean, look, I'm not the expert you are. <laughs> no, but most babies, you know, unmedicated newborns can generally, if you actually Google breast crawl on YouTube, yes, amazing. you'll see so a cool. little baby, a newborn with all their reflexes intact and they will crawl up that mother's body and actually latch on. And the way they're doing it, the mum's lying back, the baby's coming to her, his chin's forward, he gets a naturally good latch. So sometimes the less mm. interference, the better the baby does latch. And if you have any worries and concerns, get someone to have a look for you. You know, if your nipple comes out and it looks like it's been squashed like the pointy end of a new lipstick or your nipples are feel sore, often they do feel a bit tender. It's something that you've not done before. So often they are a bit tender, but if you feel that things are sore or you're at all worried, get someone to have a look and ask if you're in a hospital, ask if there's a lactation consultant who can come and see you because they actually have extra training in breastfeeding. Um, beyond, I'm mean, an experienced yeah. midwife probably has too, but you know it's beyond what generally midwives are learning. So you know, ask if they have a lactation consultant on staff who can help you. So good. And I got told um, about like the roof of your mouth. So you've got the hard bit at the front, at the top of your roof of your mouth, and then towards the back it's it's softer and yep. that, that's where you're sort of aiming. So it's not nipple feeding, it's breastfeeding. And so. the baby, yeah, the baby will draw that nipple in, stretch it right up to between that hard and soft palate, up to the back of their mouth. Their chin needs to be you know, in deep underneath the breast. And, of course, there'll be a little bit of stretching. Of course, it'll feel a bit different for, you know, as you get used to those sensations. Um, yeah, but it does. It, the baby needs to slurp that nipple right in and not just <laughs> suck on the end of your nipple because <laughs> that will hurt. One thing I did, yes, it would, yes. One thing I did not expect, um, I did not expect it to feel good. Because I didn't, you know, that that let down feeling, like that rush of oxytocin, it's like this buzz almost. For me, it was. And yeah. I didn't expect it to, to feel so good. And I thought that's so interesting. But I know, obviously, if it's painful um, for women, then that, that like almost tension and feeling of fear or, or um, stress about it. Flow of, the stress can inhibit that flow of oxytocin. And I think that's why also you yeah. know you need to have a calm nest and a calm space so that there is more chance for this oxytocin. But yes, that feeling good. I mean, it's almost like a post-orgasmic type of <laughs> relaxation feeling, isn't it? That after that yeah. letdown, it's, yeah. It really is. It's, so it's amazing. Quite a lovely, yeah, and I, look, I guess the world, you know, Mother Nature, whoever, God, whatever you want to call it, they've, they've made it so that our babies survive, you know. So breastfeeding is meant to be 
a comfortable, pleasurable experience when it's all going well. I mean, for some women, though, there is a little bit of a mix-up in their hormones and some women actually find when they have that let down, they have a um, a bit of a, a sick sort of feeling. They don't feel comfortable, but that does last for a very okay. short time. It's called dysphoric milk ejection reflex, and it's not common, but, you know, just in case that happens, it's not something that's going to... Um, you know, last forever or anything, but it can be uncomfortable for some some women. But that's rare. Generally, it's this lovely, pleasant, very relaxed. And some women think they feel tired when they're breastfeeding, but it's all it's actually more of a relaxation response. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think you sort of feel tired for a while, <laughs> regardless, because you know. <laughs> you're having disturbed sleep and. And also you've got that yeah. vigilance that you have with a baby. You know, when, you're, when you've given birth, that pituitary, that little gland at the base of your brain, it's double its normal size for about six months and it's churning out these hormones that are making you super protective and aware of your baby. And it's about, they call it the chemistry of attachment, but it's, it's about, you know, you're, you're being programmed to respond to your baby. And I think this is where... People outside of you can say, oh, that's just a hungry cry or that's just an angry cry or, you know, they'll just say, oh, that's just a grizzle. Trust yourself around, you know, whatever noises your baby makes and by staying in proximity to that baby um, and watching your baby, you will learn all their little cues long before they even cry. It's so amazing. I often look at Max, who's now, you know, 18 months, and I think – you are inside me. You were a part of me. And we've got this incredible bond that nobody else could ever have because we've just, you know, he's grown together child. with me. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's such a gift, such a gift. It is, isn't it? And, and I think I actually did a TED talk and I called it Surrender's Not a Dirty Word. And yes. surrender is really, like, I think we've got all this programming to be busy, to achieve, to be productive. And we're sitting on the couch cuddling our baby and gazing into his eyes and or her eyes and we're just in this zen zone. And then there's this pressure that we should be doing things or we should be watching the clock or we should be, I don't know, sleep training, whatever we should be doing. I think don't let anybody should on you. Just surrender to those beautiful feelings for now I agree and I think that's one thing obviously you know I teach um, pregnant women and new mothers and and before I had Max I was teaching live classes and so I would the mums and bubs classes I'd be just chatting away getting all of their different you know tips and things and I'd put a question out and see what the response was and I think it was just so interesting to hear all of the feedback and particularly about those first few weeks and that so many people are like, oh, it's so, you know, you have to get up all the time. And la, la. There was all of these negative comments. Anyway, so I went into it thinking, wow, this is going to be really hard. Like this is going to be the worst. It was such an amazing time for me. And I think one of those reasons was because I gave myself complete permission to switch off to everything else. And I'm talking everything. Like I didn't need to go near my phone. I didn't need to prepare 
any meals. My husband was incredible. He just did everything like that. I literally, my role in myself was to just be with my baby and just to feed my baby and and nurture and cuddle. And um, because I gave myself that permission to surrender, as you've just said, the oxytocin flowed in. I just felt good. Yeah, I was up regularly, but it didn't bother me. And I knew it was a, such a short period of time overall. But I feel like if you put in those expectations on making sure, you know, you've put up recent photos of your baby onto social media and making sure that you've texted everybody that you need. I think we took a week or more to tell everybody. You know, it's just take yes, your you time. you don't have to. Take your time and just stay in the bubble as long as you can. And that's it, if you've got those meals in the freezer or whether they've Mm. been home cooked or whether you've had a meal delivery service or whatever you need to do, um, if your partner can cook or, you know, that's lucky you (laughs) that you had a partner that cooked, Um, you know, but but it's really important to just relax in that bubble and keep that oxytocin up because once you start fighting that and you start to spiral into stress hormones and then you get conflicted around what you should be doing and who should be visiting or who should be not. And visitors, you know, you can limit them or you can um, have an expectation that they will bring food or they will be helpful and they will leave very quickly. And if you've got a partner there, maybe they can talk to, you know, it's time to go or she's sleeping right now and you and the baby might be just resting quietly in your bedroom having a, having a nice um, feed or just some quiet time, whatever you need to do. And it's your home, you know, it's your sanctuary. It's up to you to work it out. And some people feel like having visitors. They want to share their baby with their relatives or friends. Other people don't. They, you know, they'd rather just stay quiet. But like you say, the phones, the photos, the (laughs) obligation to be on social media telling people how you feel and what your baby looks like or the obligation to look fabulous straight after you've given birth. You don't even have to get dressed. In fact, stay in your pyjamas would be another hint because if people do turn up mm. and you're in your pyjamas, you know, they, they probably won't stay as long. Or topless. Or topless. Who <laughs> 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 hasn't answered the door topless? <laughs> yeah, those sort of things. And, I mean, if people are coming, maybe get the chopping board out and throw a pumpkin and some vegetables on the bench you know, and say, look, I was just going to do the vegetables, but, you know, I'll sit and, and they'll go, oh, oh, I'll do that for you. <laughs> That's a great idea. Definitely. And, and yeah, accepting that help, it's hard. It definitely, it, it seems easy in theory, but when someone says, oh, is there anything I can do? It's natural to say, no, no, all it's good. All but yeah, just, just having, and, and being specific is good, isn't it? Like yes. if you could just yeah. do this. If you could just do the dishes for me, that would be really helpful. But maybe do a list before you have your baby of things that people might be able to help you with. It might be helpful to have a list and just say, look, there's a list on the fridge. You can pick one. (laughs) It's hard though, isn't it? It's hard though, but people want to help. They don't want to just necessarily come and, well, if they're the kind of people who come and sit down while you make them cups of tea. Just remember not to invite them back again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so true. So um, when newborn phase, obviously newborns cry 
<laughs> and really? it can be overwhelming. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's their communication, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, they'll do a few squirms and a few wriggles and sometimes you'll know what those mean and other times it means, you know, I've got a bellyache now and it's really hurting me or it might be just be, I'm adapting to this new world because when you think about it, that they've been all snuggled up in a nice warm womb and rock constantly and it's been semi-dark for them and now they've got bright lights and they've got hot and cold and noise at you know, the noise was muffled before they were born. Of course, they could hear, but, you know, life has changed a lot. And I was sort of say, think about womb service. You know, what what would recreate that womby environment for them? And maybe, you know, it's controversial now whether you wrap your baby or not, but, you know, you can certainly wrap your baby, cuddle them, lots of skin to skin, even if you're just lying back or sitting in a chair with them mm. skin to skin. Even that helps them to calm or if you're walking around you can use a baby carrier or a sling or a wrap to you know wear your baby that can be helpful um yeah so that movement so I sort of think warmth keeping them nice and warm in the water putting them in a deep warm bath and hop in the bath with them if you you know if you're not bleeding a lot and all that sort of thing or put them in the bath with a partner and you know float them in a nice deep warm bath and just recreate that that wormy sort of feeling for them but the warmth and the water and the mm. womb sounds you know you can hold your baby and just gently bounce on a football and hum because if you're getting anxious about your baby crying your breaths are getting shorter you're getting more stress those stress hormones are coming up humming will slow your breath so if you're walking around and humming or you're sitting on a football and humming or in a rocking chair and humming that will slow your breathing and that will help um, you know, help calm you, which will then give you a bit of space to even think, look, what might be going on for my baby? That's so nice. I want to be there right now. <laughs> I feel like that's such <laughs> a nice space, up isn't it? You've just created this yeah. bubble of warmth and, and coziness. And, and yeah, if, if you're calm, it helps your baby I, I remember I, I had a my baby um when a friend was very close in her due date too and so we'd call each other and be like oh how's this going what's this and I would say I'd actually count I'd count like if my baby was crying well you know changing nappy or whatever it was I would just count in a low like relaxed voice and yeah it might have helped my baby but it actually helped me <laughs> yeah and I think you're the important one you know to calm yeah. down and then you can be in charge of whatever needs to be done because as soon as you undress them to change their nappy or you undress them to bath them they don't like that that's a new sensation mm. for them isn't it or they have that startle reflex and their little arms flick up in the air and that frightens them so there's just all these tiny little things that they're adjusting to and it's not necessarily something terribly wrong with them. But as the mother of a newborn who can't tell you what's upsetting them, what do you do? And, you know, another thing about the feeding, if in doubt, flop it out. You don't have to worry about the clock. You might have just fed your baby, but they might have popped out a wind bubble and, you know, then they've got a bit more of a gap in their tummy and so they're ready to have another little suck and the sucking will calm them down anyway. So 
you know, often it's not about whether you've got a good milk supply or anything like that. It's just this baby or you might have done a poo and his tummy feels a bit funny, but that will settle him down. So, you know, the skin to skin or popping back on the boob for comfort. But, you know, the counting's good because your counting is slowing you down. And even if you're taking deep breaths and saying, I'm breathing mm. in, I'm breathing out, you know, that's sort of slowing, slowing your breath too. Because it's about keeping us calm. It's it's important because yeah. you can get more and more and more anxious and upset and that vicious spiral where the baby doesn't even know why he was crying in the first place and you're so stressed about not being able to help him calm down that everybody's upset. And you will cry, won't you? You will cry when you've yes. got a newborn. Yes. <laughs> I think those are the things people yes, don't tell just for you. no reason. Yeah, you, you can just cry. And the other thing is when you're having a shower, your baby might have been sound asleep and you decide you'll hop in the shower and you hear that baby crying. So you race out of that shower. You haven't put the shampoo on your hair, but it's wet, you know, all that. And the baby's still sound asleep where he was, right where you left him. So you just... <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> you just hear that baby crying as soon as you start to do you something else. Things. And it's, it's, again, it's that hypervigilance that mothers have, you know, that those that mummy margarita of hormones, I think, that keep you connected to your baby. And the minute you sort of break that connection in your own head, <laughs> baby's fine, but you're hearing that baby cries. So I think there's some things that people, they don't really warn you about those strange little things, do they? Mm, yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I woke very easily to, to Max crying overnight um every time like that was Ooh, fine and then yeah. there was a moment I kind of remember how how old he was it was well into yeah eight months or whatever it was um and he would sleep overnight and he didn't need a feed overnight and it was literally like the day that he stopped needing a feed overnight I would just sleep and if he cried, it was my husband that heard him. And it was so interesting because it was almost like this innate, I'm not needed anymore. Yeah, <laughs> in that yeah. it was so, so interesting that it just flipped. And, you know, my husband would be like waking me up, like, can you hear him? Oh, what? No. <laughs> and it was just so funny. On that note, so sleeping, I think that a lot of new parents have this stress about I'm going to lose my sleep and, you know, am I going to have a baby or a toddler that doesn't sleep well? And there's almost that pressure early on to get Ooh. them into some sort of routine because it's like predictable and babies are the most unpredictable things ever they are okay. and really you can't control you know I think this the more you go with your newborn baby because you're establishing your milk supply and women have different breast milk storage capacities so you know I would say don't worry about it some of us have got shot glasses some of you will have jugs and it's not necessarily to do with the size of your breasts either it's to do with that milk storage capacity so some babies will need feeding quite frequently other babies will take longer between feeds, but your newborn stomach is about the size of a little marble and it gets up to about the size of a golf ball after about 10 days. And so that baby will need frequent refills in the early days. So trying to pop a newborn into a three or four hourly routine with some books advice is really going to mess with your milk supply. And 
there's more breast development in that first six to eight weeks anyway. So by feeding your baby when they need to and frequently, they will get into a rhythm much sooner and you'll be establishing a higher set point for your milk supply so that baby will then be able to go longer between feeds, you know, once his tummy's big enough. So watching your baby, not the clock, is so important. And you don't, you know, sleep training when they're very little is not going to make I mean, sleep, I'm, I'm anti-sleep training at any time when it involves leaving babies to cry. There are certainly things you can do to help your baby sleep, you know, a little bit better or more sounder or whatever, but it all has to be biologically safe. And I say, when you get any advice, you, you filter it by saying, is it safe? Is it respectful? And that means, is it respectful to my baby? And does it feel right for me? Because when you leave a baby to cry and you don't attend to them, it generally upsets most parents and certainly the mothers who are, you know, they've grown that baby in their belly, they're hormonally connected to that baby, whether or not they're breastfeeding. I mean, if you're breastfeeding, of course you will be, but we know it doesn't matter. You're still biologically connected to your baby. And this is where all this advice to train your baby. And when you start spacing out those feeds, your breasts aren't getting the message to produce milk because, you know, the more milk you remove from your breasts, the more your body signal to make. So you're not getting that signal. So then by about two to three months, often that milk supply has dwindled even sooner than that. And it's because those breasts aren't getting enough stimulation, that baby's not being responded to. And when you think of a small baby, they need lots of touch and they need responsive interactions for their brain connections to grow. So if you're denying them that touch by trying to make them sleep longer at night or at any time, they're getting less touch, less stimulation for their brain. Um, you know, they may not be getting as much food as they need. So, you know, really optimum, like you say, stay in that bubble and surrender for those first at least six to eight weeks. But, you know, I always think of that fourth trimester, which is what you're talking about, isn't it? You know, that first three months. And very often, if that baby's feeling lovely and secure, your milk supply's good, um, you're starting to feel really good by about three months, somewhere around the three to four month mark. And you can do it sooner. You can pop that baby into bed. He's got a nice full tummy. You can pop him into bed and he may just babble away to himself and fall asleep. There's no right or wrong. And other babies will need help to go to sleep for a lot, lot longer. And when you think about it, you would read your three-year-old a bedtime story and help him calm his busy brain and calm his limbs so that he could fall asleep and why wouldn't you do it with a three-month-old you know there's so much pressure around having a baby that self-settles and you think about how we go to sleep you know if we were all snuggled up to our partner and then all of a sudden they and we're just dozing off and they say to us you know get over your own side of the bed you need to self-settle we're creating bad habits you just go how stupid would that be it's funny you say that because I work a lot with, you know, even in health coaching, I've worked with a lot of people in helping their sleep as adults and just things as simple as, and I think it's simple because it just makes sense to me, but the bright lights, the TV, the screens, yes. all of these things tell your brain that it's midday and obviously midday doesn't mean bother babies a time of day but say an example midday and so then to be able to go okay lights off go to bed 
bang. It, it's it doesn't hard. work. And we need our we need our screens off an hour before we go to sleep. So you sort yeah. of think a, a baby that's you know feeling quite stimulated by life because they're little and their brains are new, and they're developing all these connections. Most of them will need some rocking or some cuddling or perhaps a feed or some sucking or something like that just to help them calm that brain and body. And they've got a startle reflex for the first few months anyway. You know that to actually be able to calm their bodies and their little brains down to go down those levels of sleep into a um, you know a nice deep sleep, it's going to take some help, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Amazing. So we have big expectations <laughs> of little babies that are immature, that don't have the brain capacity to think, oh, I must go to sleep now. I'll shut my eyes and sleep. I mean, I have a busy brain at night. I think it's like a conference call going on in my brain as I try to go to sleep, you know, and I and I will put on a meditation on my phone um, and pop my earplugs in, you know, and that will help me, you know, sometimes I'm so busy with the brain that the meditation's going on in the background. But <laughs> I just, <laughs> you know, that, that it is difficult. And if you are awake in the night and you're not going back to sleep after feeds, um, yeah, but that oxytocin again, if you do night feeds, your baby is getting extra chemistry that's going to help his brain development. Those night feeds are very high in melatonin, which helps your baby go back to sleep easily. That's your sleep-inducing hormone that the baby doesn't produce himself till about four months. Um, it's also very rich in tryptophan, which is a precursor to serotonin. So you're helping your baby develop good healthy um, stocks of serotonin receptors in his brain and that's important for lifelong well-being that you have that serotonin receptors developing in your brain so you know it's important that you don't cut out night feeds before your baby's ready of course if your baby's waking every hour and he's a few months old and you know you might want to look into what might be happening and sometimes it's just because babies are so distracted during the day that they do the night feeds they get into a bit of a reverse cycle sometimes there's just little simple things that you can change but you know those early newborn days are not the time to make those big changes but to work with how you can get rest and how you can get sleep you know can your partner um, sit up and hold that baby while you pop off to bed early and have a couple of hours sleep you know could you have a nap during the day um you know, there are lots of ways you can actually fill up your own sleep and rest bank. Exactly. We just did a, um, a, a podcast with psychologist Rebecca Black all about that, those micro moments, you know, having some downtime in the day or at night or wherever you need to, especially in those newborn days. It's don't worry that it's only 7 p.m. at night and you're thinking, oh, I can't go to sleep now. It's like, well, you're probably going to be up several times. So have a little, have an hour here, yeah. have maybe, you know, have what you can, take what you can. And, and, and you know, from a body perspective, being horizontal is so important to recover your pelvic floor into your body because you've gone through, you know, the, the pregnancy and the birth. So it just is, permission. It? I hadn't thought of that. Relax. Yes, but lying down, lying down to feed is another one too. If you learn to breastfeed, lying down. So important. I uh, that's what I did um, be, for majority of the feeds when I could, and I was you know telling somebody, and they're like, "What? I never got told that. I never 
heard about that. I'm like, what? Yes, yeah. this is so good. Yeah. No, I found me. as a lactation consultant, a lot of women have said to me, tell me how I lie down to feed. And they actually haven't figured it out. Whereas if you've got your baby in a nice little cradle hold, um, you know, that baby's there, you can lie on your side or you can put your hand up like that and have the baby lie next to you just to feed. Um, and even if you're just lying back with cushions and that baby on your chest is there feeding, but to be lying down and feed is, I don't know, it's just so easy. Often you'll need two pillows under, you know, to, from shoulder to head, so you might feel a little bit uncomfortable um, if you're lying, trying to lie flat on your side. So you might need two pillows and then you've got your baby in the crook of your arm and, you know, even if you do doze off, your knees will be bent, the baby won't shoot down the bed, you don't need to put blankets over you, you can if you like, but you know, though, just to lie down and feed, whether you doze off or you don't, it just makes such a difference, and even if you're just, you know, lying on your bed and resting, it still makes a difference, and mm. like you say, with the pelvic floor, you're not putting that pressure on it, you're giving, you're giving your body a rest. So important. Thank you so much, Pinky. So many incredible tips there for pregnant women going into this motherhood, but also new mothers and hopefully feeling a little bit more relaxed about it all because there's so many things that you read and you hear and it can be quite consuming, but definitely coming back to that innate feeling and, and trusting in yourself is huge. Oh, trusting yourself and trusting your body and trusting your baby, you've got it. And it doesn't have to be that hard. I think once you put on your thinking brain rather than your feeling body, then you start to come up with doubts and questions and things that just perseverate in your brain, don't they? Where If you can switch off and know that you actually have got this, you'll be okay. And that it's not just a straight line up. No way. And the night your baby sleeps a few hours longer and you think you've not or he sleeps at night instead <laughs> of in the day because they have reverse cycle at first, don't they? They don't know day from night and and you think oh, I'll do exactly the same thing as I did yesterday and my baby <laughs> will be in this pattern. And you walk around the block in the same direction or you eat the same, you know, you eat your cup of tea at the same time of day or whatever and you'll bath him at the same time of day and you'll put him in the same kind of pyjamas and then you'll still wake up. So, you know, you have ups and downs. <laughs> but it's the frustration. Yeah, I think attachment. Don't get attached. No, no. Invested but not no, attached. Don't, don't have ex- Yes, exactly. Well, thank you again so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Some really good, valid tips there from Pinky. An expert in this field has helped so many mamas and hopefully those tips can help you. For more information on this podcast, head over to pregactive.com for the show notes. Thanks for listening to the Pregactive Podcast. We love hearing from you, so leave us a comment or a review. And hey, even request a future podcast when you head over to the show notes at pregactive.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with a friend because the more, the merrier. 
See you next time.